Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us in this special episode of Pharmacy Hot Topics, where I'm sitting down with SCSS Educational Steering Committee leaders. We're going to give listeners a sneak peek at this year's mid-year clinical meeting, therapeutics debate session. This session will be held on Monday, December 5th from 3 to 5 p.m. My name is Karen Whalen, and joining me for today's episode is Kelly Goodlett, Amy Sipe, and Jessica Starr. Welcome, and thanks for joining today. Our first debate topic is differing approaches for inpatient management of penicillin allergies. Kelly, could you tell me more about our presenters and their positions? Sure. So to kick off the session, we have Dr. Bruce Jones and Dr. Megan Jeffries, who are going head-to-head and advocating for their facility's primary strategy for managing patients with penicillin allergy. Dr. Jones will be discussing using allergy assessment, oral amoxicillin challenge, and penicillin skin testing to promote allergy delabeling and the safe prescribing of penicillins and other beta-lactams. Dr. Jeffries, on the other hand, is going to make the case that regardless of whether a given patient's penicillin allergy is real, a cephalosporin can be safely administered in nearly all cases based on whether or not there is side chain similarity between the penicillin and cephalosporin molecules. Overall, it's going to be an awesome session, and attendees will come away with new practical strategies for implementing implementation at their institutions to increase appropriate beta-lactam prescribing among patients with penicillin allergy. Why is giving a beta-lactam to these patients important? Well, in inpatient clinical practice, the beta-lactams are really our antibiotic workhorses. They are highly efficacious, have relatively favorable adverse effect profiles, and are the guideline recommended first-line agents for most of our infectious diseases. However, we know from the literature that patients with a penicillin allergy label are significantly less likely to receive a beta-lactam than patients without a penicillin allergy. And so if we're not using our first-line workhorses, our thoroughbreds, that leaves us with our second stringers, our non-beta-lactam alternative antibiotic classes like fluoroquinolones, vancomycin, clindamycin, that often have notable safety and efficacy drawbacks compared to our beta-lactams. For example, At my facility, gram-negative bacteria are 10 to 15% less susceptible to a fluoroquinolone than an appropriate beta-lactam option like ceftriaxone for E. coli or cefepime for pseudomonas. So there's this increased risk for treatment failure in addition to a potentially greater risk for adverse effects. These worsened patient outcomes have been observed across a multitude of studies and include increased hospital readmissions, increased surgical site infections, increased rates of CDF, and other antibiotic associated adverse effects, as well as increased overall cost to the healthcare system. One piece of good news is that allergy assessment and penicillin skin testing can enhance the use of first-line beta-lactam agents, and Dr. Jones will be sharing with attendees specific questions for allergy interviewers to ask patients when obtaining their allergy history, as well as giving guidance for when further penicillin allergy skin testing is needed, or when the provider can just go ahead and delabel a patient based on their history and remove that erroneous allergy from their medical record. So how can pharmacists help overcome barriers that exist to beta-lactam prescribing? Will we hear about that? Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is just breaking down the old dogma. That traditional thought of, oh, this patient has a penicillin allergy. We need to be cautious about giving a beta-lactam. 
This both overestimates the risk of an allergic reaction and underestimates the risks involved with giving a beta-lactam alternative, which will be discussed during the session. We really need to flip the narrative to think twice before recommending a non-beta-lactam. Ultimately, pharmacists can help promote use of cephalosporins that do not pose a cross-reactivity risk with penicillin allergy, for example, cefazolin, ceftriaxone, cefepime, and educate clinicians on the growing literature, much of which has been spearheaded by pharmacists, which supports no increased safety risk and improved outcomes with cephalosporin administration. Dr. Jeffries will be sharing side-chain clinical evidence and a cross-reactivity chart that can be adapted for use and incorporation within local practice guidelines at attendees' facilities. Another thing is really making sure that your EMR is working for you and not against you. For example, suppressing inappropriate allergy alerts and not having the first drop-down allergy reaction option be anaphylaxis. Built-in antibiotic electronic order sets that guide prescribers to appropriate beta-lactam options in penicillin allergy can also help facilitate optimal prescribing. For example, both of our debaters will be discussing changes to their facility's surgical prophylaxis protocols to increase the use of beta-lactams, specifically cefazolin, in their pre-op patients with penicillin allergy. Additionally, supporters spearhead advocacy efforts to allow pharmacists penicillin skin testing in your state. The more tools we have, ultimately, the better our chances of success in being able to provide the highest quality patient care in infection treatment and prevention. Kelly, this sounds like an interesting debate to get our program started. Second in line for our debate session is tackling the opioid overdose crisis through low barrier opioid distribution programs. Amy, can you tell us a little bit about debate number two? Hey, Karen. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Yeah, I really do want to talk a little about it. I think our next debate, we're going to have two really incredible speakers lined up. We've got Dr. Natalia Farrell and Dr. Kristen Waters, who are going to present the evidence or lack thereof around safe supply as a safe and effective treatment for patients with opioid use disorder. Dr. Natalia Farrell is an assistant professor of emergency medicine at Boston University School of Medicine, and she practices in emergency medicine at the Boston Medical Center. And Dr. Kristen Waters is an assistant clinical professor at the University of Connecticut and practices in psychiatry at Yale New Haven Hospital. So this should be a really good thought-provoking session. Well, I'm looking forward to it. What makes you especially excited about this session? Yeah, well, first, I think therapeutic debates is always a must-see event, right? Everybody needs to go. And I think as the number of overdose deaths in America continues to rise, we're seeing a significant demand on our health systems. This leads healthcare providers to search for evidence-based prevention and treatment services for patients with substance use disorders. And safe supply may be a solution, but it doesn't come without its own barriers. Dr. Farrell and Dr. Waters are skilled clinicians who are going to break down the evidence for us and give us some real-world perspectives. I really think the audience is going to have a lot to consider at the end of this session. Everyone should make sure they don't miss this therapeutic debate, tackling the opioid overdose crisis through low barrier opioid distribution programs. Well, this is a really unique debate. We've never had anything like it before, and I hope to see a lot of you there. Our third topic, our third and final debate is anti-10A, yay or nay, should we monitor anti-10A levels for patients receiving DOACs? Jessica, could you talk to me a little bit about the speakers we're going to hear from in this debate? Absolutely. I'm so excited to announce that Dr. Kelly Rudd, she's actually the president of the National Certification Board for Anticoagulation Providers, and she's a clinical associate professor of medicine at Oklahoma State. 
is going to be debating Dr. Allison Burnett, who's the president of the Anticoagulation Forum. And she actually holds an antithrombosis stewardship pharmacist position at the University of New Mexico Hospital. And they have known each other for a long time and have collaborated well over the years on everything anticoagulation. So it's going to be a very lively and entertaining debate. I'm looking forward to it. I helped plan some of this out as far as trying to find some speakers. And I know from experience that these are excellent debaters. What can attendees expect? Well, again, beyond the fun they're going to bring to this debate, it's going to be very entertaining as they debate whether or not anti-tenay level monitoring should be done for our patients who are receiving oral direct factor tenay inhibitors, specifically apixaban, adoxaban, and rivaroxaban. And stemming from that, I think we can expect our attendees to take away a thorough discussion on the predictability or lack thereof of the pharmacokinetics and thinking about the therapeutic index of DOAX, how wide is it really? And then is it practical to monitor our anti-factor tenay levels? And if we are able to monitor factor tenay levels, what do we do with that information? There can be a wide range of concentration found? Is there any sort of clinical correlation? And then if we do the monitoring, what do we do with our dosing and how do we dose adjust? These are all excellent questions. What do you think our attendees will leave with after attending this debate? Well, I think Dr. Rudd and Dr. Burnett are going to create an excellent side for both monitoring versus not, but really leaving you to ponder, is there a difference between measuring levels or actually monitoring them. And then they're going to close with some good practical application tips so you can walk away knowing what you should do in your practice, especially in patients that may have an emergent scenario versus those less emergent needs. I think it's going to be a great way to close out the program, and I'm really excited. I'm very excited for all three of these debates. I hope you all attend. So thank you so much for everyone for listening. Uh, be sure to check your schedule. Mark down Monday from 3 to 5 p.m. at mid-year to learn about these very impactful topics. Listeners, we've reached the end of our episode. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us today to tell us a little bit more about the exciting content at the Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Be sure to register so that you can attend the live presentations that you heard about today and subscribe to the ASHP official podcast for more topics on innovation, leadership, therapeutics, and Thank you for listening to ASHP official the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.